0: Yo, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the internet's number one success podcast, Into the Mind, where we break down and analyze The characteristics, skills, strategies, and systems of successful entrepreneurs so that together we can learn from their experiences, be inspired by their victories and replicate their formulas for success. I'm your host, Marlon Johnson, parkour athlete, turned real estate entrepreneur and investor. And I'm on a mission to help 7.8 billion people. Yes, I said 7.8 billion people achieve success personally, professionally, and financially by empowering their minds and connecting them to the right people. So today. My guest is someone who I've been looking forward to meeting for a while and not just meeting because you and I have met a couple times, but more so connecting with and learning your story. It's Abraham Gray. And what I love about Abraham is you've had such a deep, long road of entrepreneurship. You've acquired over and founded over 100 businesses. You've been in the game for several decades now, and you have a way of showing up to your business and to your life so authentically. Now, mm-hmm. I want to dive in deep today on your origin stories and really start to understand what it took to get to the point of being able to buy and sell businesses, buy and sell real estate, and have fun while doing it. So, Abraham, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's gonna be awesome. Yeah, brother. So yo, catch me up to speed because right now, like, I mean, first off, on your wall behind me, we got just like a bunch of different plaques, a bunch of different businesses yeah, and we we got, all uh... businesses that you own. yeah, I got
1: like the whole my whole office.
0: Dude, I freaking love that. So you're literally surrounded by the businesses you own. That's sick. I, like I love that, man. And I mean, I imagine obviously you didn't just wake up out of bed one day and just go buy a hundred businesses at the same day. You know, it took time. Where did it get started? Like, where? What was the origin story, statement Yeah, so it got started way back. Really, elementary school. I uh,
1: started selling some candy in school. Made a little bit of money. Kind of felt good, but um, just bullshit money, right? So. But my first like reels where i started making really decent money was when i was 15 i you know i collected sports cards my my entire life and i turned that into my business and i started going to the baseball card shows and started selling them and then you know uh when i was 16 i started setting up at them all like every single week because i was able to drive and that that business just took off you know i went from making you know a few hundred bucks a week when i was 15 to a thousand dollars a week right before i turned 16 and then you know, 17, 18 thousands of dollars every single week. And basically I was able to save all that money up and uh, eventually a a new hot kind of fad came along and I got into Beanie Babies like in my early twenties and uh, all all kinds of other collectibles. And just from there, went from one thing to another, uh, got into all kinds of
0: crazy businesses
1: over the last 25 years, 30 years.
0: Man, that's insane. Wait, so let me ask, when you were doing that, like when you were trading cards back then and you were like okay. starting to make some serious money, because like making a couple grand, like before you're even 20 selling baseball cards, like that's not something that's common. Like, was that like did a switch go off in your head saying like, yo, I'm making a ton of money right now or? Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. So when I was 15, I, I started selling them and it was just like a little bit part time. And um, I started making, you know, a few hundred bucks here, a few hundred bucks there. Then it got to like a thousand bucks here, a thousand bucks there. I was like, holy shit, I could actually make a lot of money doing this. And I turned it into like a full time you know, weekend business. Like every weekend I would set up at a baseball card show in town and I would go there, buy cards, sell cards, and just got really good at it. I watched other people that were like the best at it. kind of learned from them. I became friends with them. And um, yeah, I just watched the people that were the best and kind of copied what they were able to do
0: and, and just took it to the next level. So let me ask, was the focus back then, was it on just like making money or was it like, you know, something like once sees uh, Gary Vee, right, he'll run around like selling cards and things of that nature. And he kind of always talks about like almost doing it for like the sport of it, you know, so yeah. like, was it like the sport of the game or was it just I mean, like? In the,
1: in the beginning, it was fun because I was really you know passionate about sports, especially football back then. And I love watching, you know, football. I knew all the players and, and baseball as well. And it was just fun. I did it for fun. But then once you start making money, it becomes fun and it starts, you know, it it even gets more fun. And then eventually it's like, holy shit, you need to make a lot of money doing this. And just from there, it it wasn't even, you know, necessarily for the fun. It was just so I could just progress and make more money and and see you know, how far I can get.
0: Man, I, I love it. So you go from sports, you go to Beanie Babies, and you're still like kind of just like flipping this stuff on your own. Are you building out like a team? Like when your friends are seeing what you're doing, are they like, yo, Abraham, like, how do I get in on this? Or yeah,
1: like- yeah. I mean, I had no, I had no help. So I, I did baseball cards for like seven years before I did anything else. And um, now I did all, I did it all by myself. I actually had, toward the end, I had a partner that um, I would, I mean, he wasn't really partners, but we would do a lot of stuff together. And, you know, a lot of stuff we would share. So like besides just buying collections from people, you would open up boxes of cards and kind of, get like you know get lucky it's just kind of like a lottery and I I partnered with some people that we would open up stuff together and kind of split the cost but um no for the most part it was it was all me um and then once I got into Beanie Babies I um halfway in like a few years in I then I I got my first like real partner and um from there I was like holy shit having a partner is awesome like I could you know I could not do because like my partner was really good at the stuff I wasn't good at and I was really good at stuff he wasn't good at and we were able to like only do the stuff that we really enjoyed and that we were good at and we were able to grow the business that much that much further and i was like holy shit so from then on i've had partners in almost every single business i've had some like 80 some partners that, you know at this point in my life
0: with all different types of businesses holy crap so yeah let's talk about that because that's a, a pretty big topic when you start picking up like partnerships and like what you just said you were able to do the stuff you were good at and he was able to or your partners were able to do the things that they were good at especially in that early relationship so when you were starting to identify like your superpowers like what were you starting to realize like yo you know what this is like this is my vibe this is my jam like leave me alone and let me do this
1: yeah i mean i, I was good at talking with people i was good at negotiating and getting people to like me. Like, I was uh, really good at building rapport with people. Um, a, as you said, you know, I'm very, like, I am who, who you see me. Like, I, I'm not, like, fake, you know, like, that's who I am. And um so I, I just, I know how to get along with anybody. Like, if you're, you know, it doesn't matter what type of culture you are, if you're female or male, if you're, you know, without, it doesn't matter. I just know how to get along with everybody, no matter what, right? No matter what religion you are, no matter, so I just know how to, I get along with anyone because I don't really care for anything. Like I, I'm good with everything, right? So um, I'm able to build rapport. And then once you build rapport with someone, you really can do whatever you want. Like if, you know, building rapport is getting someone to like you and trust you. Once someone likes you and trust you, um, I mean, what wouldn't you do for somebody that likes you and trusts you? If someone, if you like someone and trust them, you, you pretty much do whatever they ask you, right? So that's, that's kind of how I was. So I was able to get whatever I wanted because, you know, I gave everybody what they wanted and, you know, I was genuine and people, you know, you could see that you can see through someone if they're fake. Yep. And that's what I was really good at. So, I, And then because once you're good at building rapport, you can get really, really good at negotiating. And once you're good at that, then you start getting really good at making deals happen. So that was me. I, I was good at the creative side, finding stuff, negotiating it and, and putting it all together. And then once I put it all together, I wasn't so much like the person that wanted to like keep it together and operate it. So that was what my partner was good at.
0: I like that. So you're like, and that's really cool, actually, to, to acknowledge the fact that being able to speak to people, being able to just show up authentic is mm-hmm. a superpower. Because I meet a lot of people that have that skill set, but they still second guess themselves all the time. Like They feel like it's not enough of a value add because maybe they're not the number cruncher or they're not like all these other things. But recognizing that that ability, it opens the door, it starts to fire. And then someone yeah. else will come along and you can find the person that will sustain the fire over time.
1: Yeah. And I mean, as you see, that that could relate to anything, you know, it's easy to be successful in any single thing. If you're good at talking to people and you're, you know, you're an honest person and um, you're genuine. So, you know, in real estate, the best people, the best closers are the best people to negotiate, you know, in sales, the best people, uh, it's really, even in a relationship when you're trying to go get your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, you know, the easier you are, the, the more likely you're going to have, you know, find someone quicker and find the right person. So
0: it really translates to everything. Well, let me ask you this, right? Because you you mentioned being able to build rapport, and you know, I find some people could build rapport, but then they're almost afraid to use the rapport, right? So now it's like, hey, I built this trust, this person likes me, but then there's something I need, there's an ask, and they're afraid to make the ask. Did you well, ever? Well,
1: yourself- again, it's uh, it's all about being natural. Like if you're if you're natural and just however the conversation goes, you just flow with the conversation based on how it's going it's natural. And then you're just naturally going to ask the right things and naturally going to hear, you know, hear what you should hear. But if you are trying to do something that's not natural, then that's where it kind of gets a little bit weird sometimes. But literally every single thing, you know, I talk to people about is just natural. Like if you say, I don't even know what the hell I'm going to talk to you about today, but whatever you ask, I'm going to say it. It's just going to flow because that's what makes sense. You know what I mean?
0: You know, I, I freaking love that. And I also got to give you a shout out because you, um, A little while back, maybe a few months ago, you dropped one of your videos and it was like a little training video you were doing, just kind of breaking down how you talk to sellers and a fix and flip situation because you bought so many properties. It's unbelievable. You, I basically think you own all of Atlanta. Like that's the image I have of you in my head. Yeah. And you were breaking down that when you talk to these people that you actually just explained to them, like, Hey, look, I'm going to have to come in and do the kitchen. I'm going to have to do the yeah. bath. And you are just breaking it down line item by line item being. Yeah. So-, so that,
1: that, that video, by the way, so obviously, so one, so one of the big things I've been working on over the last six months and this year, you're going to see me hit like crazy numbers on my YouTube, but I just started it six months ago. So that's my biggest thing I'm working on is my YouTube, Abraham Gray, Jerry way. But the video you're talking about is a video that I've gotten, more compliments on than anything so like literally that video i think the name of the video is how to buy a house for any price the price that you want or something like that and what i do is i show people how to negotiate with sellers and get it to where everybody's happy right because everybody has to be happy or else it feels not going to be smooth right so i break down i'm like all right what do you want for the house and they tell me some crazy price they want three hundred thousand for the house i'm like cool i know it's only worth 200 250 but i'm like all right i'll give you 300 no problem and then I, I show how I paid them the 300, but it's basically by showing them, look, you have to do this work, this work to get to 300. And you keep knocking off different amounts, but I always make that person tell me the amount that they have to knock off. I never say, look, well, it's gonna cost 30,000. I ask them, how much does it cost to do a kitchen? Oh, well, my friends told me, you know, their kitchen was 20,000, I'm like, perfect. So we're gonna take 20. I always get them to tell me the number and that works really well in negotiating with all kinds of stuff. Because if, if you're trying to, if I don't know you that well, and I'm trying to buy something from you, and I'm trying to get you down on price, um, you're not going to really trust me yet. You don't know me that well. So if I tell you something, you might believe me, you might not believe me. But if you are telling me the amount that it's going to cost to fix something, you're going to believe yourself, right? I mean, you like yourself, right? So I always get the person to tell me the amounts. And then I'm like, okay, I agree with you. you know? And then at the end, I've agreed with everything they've said. They've told me the amounts. Now, if they don't tell me the amounts that I want to hear, I push them to tell me but they don't even know I'm pushing them to tell me because I lead them into the answers. And uh, it's, it's very honest and it's very logical. So they have to give me the answer that I want. And that's kind of what I do in, in every business besides real estate. But that particular video was a real estate one. And I've had a lot of people tell me that they actually bought a lot of properties um, at a much better price because
0: they watch that video and practice it. So that, that's a really cool video. Everyone should watch. Dude, I, I did a 30, I think it was like a $36,000 wholesale assignment like two days after watching that video because I was like, yeah. oh you know, like I saw the video. I was like, I'm just going to put it into practice. And I did it on Zoom with the seller because yep. she was up in New Jersey. I literally just walked her through. I did the exact, I was like, I'm going to try that because it looks so good. It I works, mean, right? it works. Yeah, it works
1: on the toughest sellers. So if you don't have a super tough seller, you don't need to use that that's the technique that works on the toughest like so people ask me all the time do i ever negotiate and buy houses and talk to sellers it's, it's extremely rare i will talk to the hardest ones because i want to show like my salespeople, like how to close the hardest people if you close the hardest people you close anybody right so there was one particular deal a couple of years ago that i had to step in because i haven't really done it much the last couple of years except for these hard i still do it for the really hard one and i was able to buy some of these people that like nobody else is able to buy. Like, how do you do it? So I just kind of take them with me, but I broke down that video after I closed a couple of the hardest people that like people like, there's no way you can close them. And I did it using that technique.
0: Dude, it's so solid. Like people, guys, if you don't know what he's talking about, I'm going to put the link to that video in the description below, go and watch that video. If you're in any sort of sales, it translates just even outside of real estate, but it's such yeah. a good approach. Yeah. so let me ask you this right when it comes to going out and speaking to the people was there ever a point where you were afraid of rejection
1: um not really I mean you know you never really like rejection I mean it, the the less I did it the the more the rejection kind of hurt but once once you do it a bunch and you're used to it you're like okay that's just part of that's just part of life you know everything every people get rejected all the time you know if you're trying to date someone sometimes you get rejected if you try to buy this or try to sell this you're gonna get rejected but it's okay it's part of you know once you realize that's part of life and that's how you get better and better yourself because every time you get rejected you know what happens you figure out better ways to do it so every time you get rejected you just get better and better because you figure out what you did wrong and sometimes you know there's nothing you could have done better you know but you figure out how to tweak your skills and get better at it and that's why the best people are are the best because they've got rejected more than anybody else
0: I love that. I agree with you full hearted. Like if someone's new to anything, volume is going to make up for what they lack in skill until the skill arrives. For sure. For sure. You, you start selling, you start getting into business, you start getting rid of like the, the bean babies. And what was the first like business that you acquired? When did you like officially like find yourself going from just like hustle mode? So like yeah. I've got like an actual sustainable business where I can unplug and this thing still keeps on producing cash flow.
1: So I I I was always a hustler when I was younger. Man, I hustled like crazy. But um my first business that I actually bought that I didn't start was in the beanie baby business. I um I grew my beanie baby business really big and I was one of like the top five in the uh in the world. I had one of the five. Uh, most busiest websites that sold Beanie Babies. And actually, at that time, I was selling Beanie Babies. I got the Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Magic the Gathering. I was selling all kinds of collectible stuff. Um, But all the other sites also kind of sold that stuff. So there were like four or five sites that were like neck and neck with me. And uh, my first big purchase where I bought somebody else's business was actually one of these other competitor websites that was really, really big. And I bought his website, I bought his, his company back in like 1999 or something. And that was that was the first big business I bought. I, I paid him over half a million dollars for it. And, you know, I was in my early twenties and I had to figure out a way to buy this um, without using all my money. I mean, I had a half a million dollars but I didn't want to spend, I didn't want to put it all into that because then, you know, if you put all your money into everything then there's only so much you can buy. But if you're able to put very, very little or none of your money into something you can just buy unlimited amounts of stuff, right? So um, I worked out a deal with him, you know, I. I every single seller is different, right? In real estate and in business. I had to figure out why he wanted to sell. And once I understood why he wanted to sell, I fit my offer based on, you know, to to solve his his problems or issues. And having all the money up front wasn't one of the things that he really needed. So I was able to, you know, to give him 20% down and the other 80% over the next five years. And basically I was paying him a small percent of my profit that I was making from his business, you know, on, on payments. So, you know, I, I almost like I was getting paid to, to take his business. And then the 100,000 that I um, gave him up front, I actually had like uh, a sports car that I, you know, I used part time that he actually liked when he visited me. So I gave him my car, it was a, it was a Porsche. And that was most of the 100,000. So I only gave him a little bit of cash. And he took my car and a little bit of cash. And I just basically at that point, just had my other car, I drove, and, you know, um, it worked out really well for everybody. And you know, five years later, he was paid off. And now, now we're actually friends now. And I've done a lot of other business with that guy. But I bought so many businesses from so many different people over the years. But that was, that was my first one that was like significant, like half a million dollar plus business. And I was able to structure it because even in the baseball card business, I bought a lot of businesses off people, but they were like, you know, $20,000, $30,000, 50,000, you know, they weren't nothing really significant. This was like the biggest first one that I did.
0: So I'm curious, what was the thought process? Like when you first started acquiring, first off, by the way, that's freaking cool. I love the creativity of like, yo, here's the keys to the car. Here's the pink slip. Like we'll structure the rest on terms and I'll take over the business that way. But what was the thought process when you were first taking over the businesses? Was it like a, Hey, if I consolidate the competition, I can essentially monopolize the block or was like someone whispering in your ear, like Abraham, like, this is how you should be looking at It's like, what caused you to get, because essentially it sounds like everyone else was kind of just, just hustle, 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 do their own thing. And you saw this ability to kind of start piling things together. And grow. Yeah,
1: so I was still young, you know, I was still in my early twenties, but, you know, obviously when you're in business, you always want to grow your business. You want to you do as, as good as possible. And I knew the, the, you know, I would spend money on advertising every single month um, just to grow my website and grow my business. But, you know, you only could spend so much, you can only grow so much i i i felt like if I was to buy somebody else's business that was similar to mine i could double my income overnight you know which if I was advertising it would take me years and years to double my income and on top of that obviously like you said if you could take one of your biggest com- competitors out of the, the game and now you own them wow not only can you double your business you might triple because like literally their customers i was able to sell them stuff that they didn't sell my customers i was able to sell stuff that you know they sold i didn't and Literally, um, we just, you know, collectively, instead of becoming like two other top five websites, or top businesses, we were now the, be- the best, you know, together. So it, there's just so many different things. I was able to buy more stuff at a better price because, um, you know, again, I was able to buy in more quantity. I was able to put all my uh, p- vendors together and kind of use them against each other. I had more vendors because I used some of his, um, again, with the customers, instead of selling Twenty dollars to each customer. We were able to sell twenty-five or thirty because we had more stuff to sell them, and uh, just every single everything economically about it just made made so much sense. And from that from that point, I was like, oh shit, I got to start buying competitors out in every business I have. And I actually bought uh, probably six, eight months later, another one of the top five uh, you know websites in the in the Beanie Baby industry out. And I had three out of the top five for a while, and eventually I bought another one. And I was just the biggest, like, I mean, there was nobody even close. Like I was 10 times bigger than anybody at, at one point in, in Beanie Babies. But um, yeah, there was just, uh, my, I just wanted to grow as fast as I could. And that's the fastest way to grow, to buy your competitors out instead of having to grow your grow your uh, clientele by by marketing and everything else.
0: Wow. And you know what's cool? I'm like catching on to this trend of you were, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you were in your field and you were already becoming a top producer. And yeah. then you start to go and purchase the other top producers. Cause I was going to ask, how are you knowing which businesses to buy? But it makes sense that if you're kind of picking, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're picking from the other essentially top fives, top tens, yeah. to like to add in to your collection. Yeah. I mean, so back then you can look online and
1: you can see who the, you know, you go to Google, you know, Beanie Baby, you know, websites would be and the top 20 would come up. And so you could see the top five all the time. You know, they'd come up on the Google search before everybody else those are the ones that I wanted, you know, I wanted, I wanted the best, you know, so uh, ever since I was little, I wanted to be the best in anything I did, whether it was sports, whether it was, you know, baseball card business. So ever since then, I've taken that same mentality. So any business that I get into, I want to be the best at it, you know, um, am I always the best? I mean, I'm not always the best, but I want to be the best, you know, and I'm, if I'm not the best, I'm, I'm close. And um, I strive to be the best, even if, you know, I'm not. So that's, that's, you know, the easiest way to get there.
0: Nice, I like it. So you start acquiring these businesses, you're locking them up, and you're you're gaining success, you're gaining momentum with it. And I'm curious, at what point do you start stepping into new industries that you don't know? Like you know, you step out of the beanie bag, baby. It's like it yeah. was that still dying, and then they start to push you into a new one, or do you jump into a new industry before the death of the old? Yeah, so basically all the stuff in my teens and 20s were all similar
1: in the same similar you know industry. So I was in baseball cards, but baseball cards is a collectible. Beanie Babies, Beanie Babies was a collectible. And a lot of people that did baseball cards started doing Beanie Babies. So kind of naturally um, turned into each other. And then people that, would, you know, that did that, that was a kid toy. You know, Pokemon cards and Yu-Gi-Oh cards and Magic Gathering was kind of the next natural thing because it was also a collectible. It was also a kid toy. So all these things were kind of similar. And um, so I always did similar stuff. But I would say when you're starting off and you're getting into business, you know, always, always find something that you're passionate about, that you have a lot of experience about, you have done before, that you know about stuff like that, because that's going to make it easy in the beginning. But once you get really good, right, once you get really good at business, um, it doesn't matter what the business is. So probably in my really late 20s is when I started buying businesses and starting businesses that had nothing to do with anything I knew. Um, literally, uh, once I got out of Beanie babies is when I, I started doing stuff that was something I, I didn't do much before but I understood how to you know I understood business I understood what needed to happen. So um, but that was like 10 10 plus years after I started and had you know, successful businesses. So at this point today, I have businesses in every industry like it doesn't even matter. I don't even care what the industry is. I would say like in since my late 20s, I probably knew nothing like uh, basically nothing if maybe a few percent, but probably 95% of what I've done, I knew nothing about right before I bought the business. And, um, I just learned about it. I understood the business. I understood, you know, that I needed to have, you know, marketing. I understood I needed to have sales. I understood I needed to have, you know, good reputation and customer service. And, you know, I understood all that. And, um, I just transformed it from one business to the next. And when I'm buying somebody else's business, They're teaching me the business. You know, I don't have to figure it out on my own. That's why you buy someone's business. They teach you everything you need to know. And they have a ton of employees already in place, really top level managers and a lot of good employees that have been there for a while that know the business that you can learn as as you own it because uh, there's other
0: people there that know it. So let's talk about that, because this was something you were talking about at the Mastermind last week. You and Carl were basically breaking down, you know, because people that come from real estate understand this idea of going and buying a distressed home and fixing it up and things of that nature. But we know it's all about the motivation. And you guys said something which is really interesting. You said that you don't go and buy distressed businesses, which is what I think a lot of people think they are supposed to go out and do find a business that's maybe underperforming, performing poorly. You that guys idea, said- that's a horrible idea. Right, like after you said that, I was just like, "Why would anyone ever go that route?" Well, so, what do you look for? You look for something totally different. You look for the complete opposite of a distressed business. Yeah,
1: I mean, anyone that that you know that's looking to start a business or own a business should never look for distressed businesses. There's like a few reasons why you would buy a distressed business, but for the most part, it's not a good idea for ninety-nine percent of people. But um, you want to look for businesses that are very profitable that have distressed owners, right? And the distressed owner is someone that, you know, is just ready to be out of business. Maybe they want to retire, maybe they're sick, maybe they're going through a divorce, maybe they're moving, maybe they're just burnt out. A whole lot of other reasons, right? But that's the type of owner you want to go after. Just, it's it's the same exact thing in real estate, right? We're all in real estate. What type of owners do we go after in real estate? Tired landlords, people about to get foreclosed on, people that need to move, people that are about to get divorced. You know, it's the same thing. Are you going to go after an owner that has like, a property that they're making a killing on, that they love, that you know, they're just not going to have any motivation to sell it. You're not to have to pay all the money for it. It's the same thing in business. So you're you're not going after you know businesses where people are super happy in their business and they want to keep that business for a long time because if you do that, you're going to pay top dollar and you're not going to get any good terms. So we go after the distressed the the distressed owners, but they have really profitable good businesses, right? So um, to me, a really profitable business is one that's somewhere in the six figures making profit at least six figures. Typically I, I would like for it to be multiple six figures, but I, I do buy businesses that are a hundred thousand, 150, 200,000 uh, profit um, per year. And the reason why I don't buy anything really less than a hundred thousand is because if you're buying a smaller business, that's making less than that. Typically the owner does a lot in that business. And if you buy the business, and the owner leaves. Now, you know, you can be in trouble because you can lose a lot of customers if the owner leaves. And also um, it's hard to plug somebody in to take their place and pay them a, a fair amount because it's not making enough to, to support paying somebody a good amount. I want to pay somebody really, really good to be the manager or to be the one that, you know, um, runs the business. And if the business isn't making that much, you can't really get a good employee to run it because you can't afford it. Right. So um, that that's really important. If you're buying a business that's making less than six figures, you're pretty much for the most part buying uh, a job, you know, and everything that that I do, I, I haven't even been to most of my businesses in years. So I'm not, you know, I don't want to buy a job. I want to buy a cash flowing asset, a cash flowing business that already has a team, management, everyone in place. And you can't do that with, with, a, with a, cheaper, a cheaper business because um, it's going to take too much time. And again, um, you can't hire a good person because not making enough. So that's the type of stuff I'm looking for. So the most important thing is I look for that's profitable, six figures plus. I look for one that um, has a management team in place. So I look for one that already has someone that can run it. Like I look at a business that, if the owner can't go on vacation for a month and the business not fall apart, then those are the types of business I'm looking for. If the owner, if the owner leaves for a month and the business falls apart, I don't want that then. You know, that's a business that's going to be a little bit more work. Um, so that's what I look for. And then of course I look for motivated, motivated sellers. You can call them distressed the sellers, or whatever it is, but somebody that has a good motivation of why they want to sell that business. Because if someone's super motivated, just like in real estate you can get the price you want or better yet you can get the terms that you want. Right. We buy a lot of sub twos. We buy a lot of owner finance. We buy a lot of hybrids, innovations, all, you know, Morbi methods, all these different things, because the only reason why is because the motive, because the seller's motivated, the mo- if the, if the seller's not motivated. They're never going to sell you a owner finance. They're never going to sell you a sub two. They're never going to say, you know, so it's the same thing in business. And that's what we look for. There's shit tons of them out there. It's just a matter of, um, you know, going after them and having a, a funnel where it keeps coming in, and the more that comes in, the you know you'll find you'll find the right ones. And then another thing that's kind of important for business is, you know, I, when I buy businesses, most of them have been running for a long time, usually decades even. Um, I, I wouldn't really try to go after businesses that only been around for a year, two year, three year, four year, because those are a lot more risky, and you don't know what's going to happen to those businesses. Once a business hits that ten year mark and they've, they've, they're around still and they're making money, that's a solid business. You know, I think like 96 or 97% of businesses that start are out of business within 10 years. So if they're there within 10 years, they've beaten 97% of the people out there and that business is gonna keep going. So, um, and again, even the first two or three years is when most businesses go out. Like within the first year when you open a business, most of them are gone. I mean, 55 plus percent of businesses that open in, you know, right now are gonna be out of business in less than a year. And, you know, the same thing in two years, three years, it goes to like 70, 80, you know, so it's like the first few years, you got to be really careful about buying a business that hasn't been open for at least five years, I would say, but 10 years, 10 years is ideal. Um, and again, you're, you're going to be able to look at the financials of that business for, for many years if they've been around for a long time. And you can see if it fluctuates, if it goes up and down, if it stays the same, um, you can learn a lot about that business, but if the business hasn't been around for long you're not really learning that much from it and defeat half the purpose of, of buying buying a business instead of starting
0: one. So, let me ask you this when you're doing your due diligence and you're looking at the business and it's been around for five plus years or so, it's producing that cash flow. Do you ever come into situations where the owners aren't necessarily prepared to sell in the sense of they're still running things? They have a management team in place, but maybe their books and their systems just really aren't all that in order.
1: Yeah, all the, all the time. So, here's the thing there's, there's two ways to buy businesses, it's just like there's two ways to buy real estate on market and off market, right? So it's the same in business. So what I would say is, when you're buying on market businesses, um, for the most part, they have most of the stuff put together, right? Because they're prepared because they know they're selling it. But that's only like 15% of what I buy, 20% of what I buy is on market, right? In real estate, 99% of what I buy is off market. I buy 1% of my stuff is on market in real estate. In business, it's closer to 15 to 20% I buy on market. But yeah, on market, they usually have it put together. Off market, I would say most of the people that you're buying it from don't have it all put together. But, you know, I could take their hand and walk them through what they need to do. And most of them, you know, within within a week or so, can give me what, what they need. You know, they could either have it or they could go to their accountants or they can go to you know, whoever they need to to get it. But, um, yeah, I mean, some businesses. Um, so here, here's the other thing. That's the other reason why it's better to buy a bigger business. The bigger the business, the more likely they're going to have the stuff put together. Because a small business could be mom and pop. They could just do all the stuff themselves, you know. Um, but a bigger business is making a lot of money. It's going to have, you know, an accounting team. It's going to have bookkeepers. It's going to have, you know, that type of, of, of team in place because they need to a lot of employees. They need to payroll it. So they're going to have that stuff put together to where they will be able to give it to you way faster than like a smaller type business that maybe can't even afford to have an accounting team or
0: something like that. Hey guys, Marlon Johnson here. I hope you're enjoying the episode. We'll get back to it in just a moment. First, I want to say thank you for your continued support. And I'm happy to share with you that we've relaunched MMC. MMC is the Millionaire Mindset Community. If you love these thought-provoking conversations, then you need to be a part of MMC and get in the room with other like-minded entrepreneurs. MMC is a private group where we connect daily to work on ourselves and our businesses. We have daily Zoom calls with other entrepreneurs who are setting goals, collaborating, and doing business together, plus a weekly coaching call from either myself, other coaches, or special guests. Also, being a part of MMC allows you early access to podcasts like this before they air, as well as behind-the-scenes conversation that my guests share. Because I want to make joining MMC a no-brainer, I'm offering listeners a seven-day trial for just $1 by going to mmc.mindsetmarlin.com. Go to mmc.mindsetmarlin.com, and when you register, you'll be able to do a seven-day trial for just $1. And if you don't get value from being in the room with the right people, you can cancel your membership on the sixth day. So what do you have to lose? Go to mmc.mindsetmarlin.com right now and register. Don't wait any longer to change your life. I'll see you in the room. Now back to the episode. So here's an interesting question too. When you're buying a business and you purchase, let's say you go out and you buy like how you bought the hatchet business, are you also purchasing their bank account that comes with the LLC along with the funds in it? So when you're looking at their books and you're seeing the numbers in there, are you also buying those numbers and buying the money left in the bank account? How does that part work?
1: Yeah, so I, w- I would say you should. So there's two ways to buy a business. Um, there is one way that's called an asset sale purchase, asset purchase, and then there's another one called a stock purchase. And um, when you're doing a stock purchase, you're buying, you're buying the company, you're buying everything, you're buying the good, the bad, the ugly, you're just buying the whole thing. And on a stock purchase, yes, the bank account, everything would come with it. On an asset purchase, you're picking and choosing what you want to buy and don't want to buy, right? Um, So on an asset purchase, you could buy the bank account and take the money with it. Or you could, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you might leave it. It's always better to take it so like, let's just say you, you guys agree on, on, a, on a number. You want a million dollars for this business. Um, if worse comes to worse and you agree on a million dollars without any cash, I would still take the cash. If there's 200,000 in the bank account, I would still buy that 200,000. Just give them 200,000 for it. So instead of paying a million, pay a million too. There's a lot of benefit for taking the bank account because there's a lot of different ways we teach you how to finance businesses. And um, it's a lot it's just a, a lot easier to um, finance it on the front end and get the 200 cash. And then you can actually use that 200 cash to maybe for some of the down payment or some different things instead of buying the business and now figuring out how I'm going to have to put operating money into, into the account. But um, you, you could always love, you could always get money in different ways from people. And it's better to add that 200,000 on the purchase price and, and get a, a bigger loan or, you know, depending on how you're, you're financing this, but yeah you could that that cash is financeable so you might as well get it on the front end and then just owe, owe it to them you know over time
0: that's cool so i imagine with everything that you do with buying the businesses still investing in real estate still getting out and learning and taking care of yourself how do you integrate the rest of your life outside of business i'm talking relationships i'm talking health you know what i know like you do jujitsu and things of that nature and actually correct me if i'm wrong you even got to you've done some fights as well Right. Like yeah, you guys yeah. The ring.
1: yeah. So I'm pretty old now. Like I turned 48 this year, um, but yeah, I had six, I had six um, MMA fights, cage fights. And uh, back, actually I started, I started really, really old. My first one was at 38. I was kind of already too old, but um, I did it all the way for like, so I was like 43 or something. So um, nice. almost, almost everybody that I know as a fighter retires when they're 37, 38, I started it. <laughs> so I, I was like, I was the younger guys. They were a lot quicker and stuff, but um, but it, it, it was fun. But yeah, I basically started doing a lot of martial arts or jujitsu particularly, like about 11 years ago. And I just wanted to see where I stood. So I did jujitsu tournaments all the time, but I was like, oh, let me see how I can do it in cage fights. And I did karate when I was younger for a long time. So that's that's how I got into it. I have, uh, I, I won two fights, I lost four, but it was a fun experience. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't have not done it
0: yeah it no like, i love that yeah. i mean there's like that you're putting yourself to the test and i think that's like the biggest part of it a lot of us are uncomfortable with ever losing and putting ourselves to a place yeah. where failure is a potentiality but like actually putting yourself there is where you start to learn much more about yourself
1: yeah but getting back getting back to your question you're like all right so how do i put in perspective my relationships with yeah. my wife with my kids my health all that stuff right so I basically just have a set time where I do kind of everything. Like, you know, I, from Monday through Friday, you know, during, you know, work hours, like 10 to six 30, I'm pretty much working. Right. And you know, you can call it working, but a lot of it's like, I'm just talking with people like you, I'm doing podcasts. I go out and meet people. It's to me, it's fun. Like I would, I just love doing that shit. So um, nothing that I'm doing is really, you know, very few hours is really work, work, you know, I'm, I'm never, but um, so that's kind of what I'm in the office of doing stuff. And then, Every Friday night, you know, I have a date night with my wife. So every Friday night we go out and, you know, we do all kinds of different stuff. You know, sometimes we go to comedy clubs, plays, movies, dinners, of course. And we go to the gun range. We go to, you, you name it. Like, if there's something you can do, we do all kinds of, like, arts and crafts studios. We've done, like, where we blew glass. We did where we did an, in the movie Ghost, where you did the, uh, you know, the, <laughs> the little yeah yeah so but whatever whatever is different anything that we see that's kind of unique and different we'll, we'll go do we'll go do it so every friday night we go out and then saturday sunday you know um i basically you know spend time with the kids most of the time and once in a while i, I go out to different um different masterminds or different conferences like i saw you at the one in phoenix and uh so you know maybe once every couple of months i'll go out of town and something like that network and and, and that, those are fun but most of the other time we go out of town, like last weekend I took me and the, and the kids and my wife. We went to um, Gatlinburg, Tennessee and Pigeon Fort, Tennessee. It's like a three and three and a half hour drive from Atlanta. So we all drove there and we spent like three days there. So on the weekends, you know, it's more family time. And once in a while I catch up on work or I'll go network at some events, but that's kind of how And then every single night after I leave, after I leave my office, I go to the gym. So I go to the gym like four nights, uh, four days a week. And I do jujitsu. That's that's what I like to do. But you know, it doesn't matter. You know what it is. You know, everyone could do what they what they enjoy. But everyone needs to like exercise, work out, and uh, it just makes their mind, you know, better, and it makes them feel. You, you have those endorphins come out. You feel a lot better. I see you have a bike behind you, so I'm assuming you use that every so often.
0: Oh yeah, bike man. I've been uh training for a marathon right now, so I've been just constantly running. Man, I got my marathon coming up in one month. And it's uh-huh. like putting in like 50, 60 miles a week right now. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. Like it does, it does right for my mind. It does right for everything. And when I'm pushing myself physically, that's when I'm able to come back and whatever work I'm working on, whatever challenge. You do I'm better. You do better. Your,
1: your mind's better.
0: Yeah. It's the same thing. Like every time I'm like getting to the place in the run where I want to quit, I just remind myself, hey, this is that phone call yep. with like a person that you can't break through. Give it one more shot. Give it one more yeah. try. Keep to yeah. have a conversation.
1: No, hundred percent. I always tell people like, um, you know, if you do better in one aspect of life, you're going to do a lot better in other aspects because they all flow together. Like someone that needs to lose a lot of weight, if they really care about it and they start losing weight, all of a sudden they're going to start doing better in other aspects of their life because losing weight's hard, you know, when you're, when you're big. And if you can do that, you can do anything, you know? So it's like, you, you just, mentally, you know, your mindset-wise that if you can do this, you can do that, and just everything starts, starts going smoother. But another thing that's really important to me that I do like um, every week Uh, Some stuff I do every day, but I I treat myself to, you know, to feel good, right? So I go to a chiropractor every month, like at least once, maybe twice a month. You know, I get massages at least once a week, sometimes twice a week. You know, I go in jacuzzi as many nights as I can. You know, I go home, I I go in the jacuzzi. Um, You know, I I get like pedicures and I get, uh, I go into cryotherapy. I go in the sauna, I go in the steam room, I go, you know, all these different things. So all that stuff is really important too. Like, I always, my body always feels good, even though I'm doing a lot of jujitsu and wrestling and all that stuff. Um, I just try to take care of my body. And so health-wise, is really important, you know, like, you could have all the money and everything else, but if you don't feel good, it's like you're miserable. So um, I try to, like, you know, never, like, get sick, never, um, just by taking care of yourself, that stuff just naturally happens. But, you know, my body just feels good most of the time.
0: Agreed. So let me ask, like for your personal development, you know, you take care of the physical body. What do you do for your mental Like, What do you do for your mindset to help keep you sharp and keep you on your game?
1: Yeah. So for, for, for my mind, what I do is I'm always on Google, like looking at different people that are doing better than me or different people that have gotten to different levels that I want to get to in whatever aspect. So I'm always like studying people that are, I want to be like, right. And on top of that, I'm always, you know, figuring out um, other types of things that I want to do to make money. So I'm always Googling what's popular now, what's hot now, what's, you know, different things. So I'm always, I'm, and I'm always taking notes. Like I don't remember everything. Like sometimes um, I'll wake up the next morning. I'm like, man, I had this great idea, but I don't remember what the hell it is. I am literally always taking notes So on my phone on my notepad. I have like hundreds of things I write down all the time because I, I won't remember them. So um, literally I just write stuff out. And then, you know, when I'm in the office, I just start implementing stuff and I have a, you know, uh, a couple of really good assistants that work with me and other, other employees, and we just kind of put stuff together. And um, I'm always trying to get better at that. And then, of course, I buy a ton of courses, you know, we're in some courses together, uh, you know, I, I'm in a lot of different courses for real estate, for business, for marketing, for SEO, for you know, gym industry, for this type of industry, for um, I actually just bought a course that just talks about how to grow your social media, how to grow your YouTube, how to, um i spent 20 grand on that like uh, a couple months ago but like i'm always buying courses i'm like people that are really good at something like fucking learn as much as you can from those people you know hopefully you can learn as much as you can for free but honestly you know once you start paying um you you feel more motivated to have to learn this stuff like if i get a free course i probably don't even look at it but if i have to pay for that same exact course i'm going to really like spend time and look at it because i'm like fuck i'm invested in this so um i think everyone should buy like paid paid courses as well as also just going on youtube and finding some free stuff but um yeah man that that's how i I better myself all the time and then of course besides all that hanging around the right people is so crucial you got to hang around the right people like if you hang around bad people you're gonna be a bad person if you hang around you know losers you're gonna be a loser you hang around successful people. There's no way you're not going to get successful. It's, it's impossible. So just find the people around you that are negative and make sure you don't you know, kick them out of your life. Find the people that are positive. Like hang around those people as much as possible. Successful people, hang around them as much as possible. The people have gone to places that you want to get to, hang around those people. Like it, it fucking like rubs off on you.
0: It's so true I mean I, I say it all the time like proximity is power in fact, that's why I moved out here to Arizona about a year ago. it was a cheat code it was absolutely something that's critical and I love what you said like you're constantly learning you're constantly yeah yourself in that room and you're paying for that knowledge right because when you do pay you pay attention and now you even you teach it as well, right you actually yeah. implement and teach people how to buy businesses in fact, I had um, a good buddy of ours, Keston. You know, he had gone to your mastermind where you're teaching how to buy and sell businesses, or most of how to acquire businesses. And I was asking him, I was like, yo, how was it, bro? He said, dude, if you go here, (laughs) you're going to be buying businesses. Like, he used to- As long
1: as as you have the time to put into it, right? You know, put this way, anyone that goes through it has all the knowledge. Now it's just a matter of you making the time to do it. Obviously you can know everything, but if you don't implement it, you're not going to get anywhere. But yeah, I've been doing those for three years. This is going to be my fourth year doing those. And um, yeah, they're super cool. There's like a hundred people at each event. Um, they're always sold out. And I do them a couple times a year and we just have a blast man. I just teach everybody how to really everything about business. So like there's a, there's, I mean, probably hundreds of people at this point that teach real estate. Right. Um, and there's tons of real estate courses and all these different things, but there's very few people that teach business. So that's just something I've made a lot of money on. I, I've made more money in business than probably anyone that teaches Business or real estate, um, so I was like, you know what? Why don't Why don't I teach? I had a few friends a few years ago are like, look, why don't you put together something? Teach me kind of how you did certain things. I was like, all right. So I went from like teaching like five people, then to teaching twenty people, then you know to teaching hundred people. And uh, once I got to hundred, I just keep you know doing a hundred people every every couple uh, couple times a year. But yeah, it's fun. And then a lot of these people that come to you know my masterminds. Um, actually end up buying a bunch of businesses and a lot of these people have actually partnered on a business so a lot of people that have come to my masterminds last year two years or three years ago i'm partners with them on, on different businesses that that you know we've uh, bought the other now
0: that's freaking cool so you know for you got one coming up actually at the end of the month because right now it's still early in february and you've got one happening i think it's what down in tampa right tampa the
1: last weekend of february that's uh, it's uh, friday saturday sunday february 24th 5th and 6th and uh it's so I've always done these um, these masterminds by myself. Like it was my event, 100% my event. Like I was the one that spoke 95% of the time. I'd have a few special guests. Well, last event, like my last event, like three months ago, I, um, it was my last event that I'm doing by myself. So I, I invited Carl Allen, who is, um, you know, he's probably the biggest OG that knows how to do this stuff better than anybody. And uh, I was like, why don't you come and speak at my event and, you know, we'll have fun. He's like, okay. So he came and we ended up like going back and forth, like almost 50, 50 back and forth throughout the whole event. And, um, you know, I had all my slides, but, you know, he kind of knows all that stuff. So we just kind of, you know, we're teaching people back and forth. At the end of the event, he's like, man, this was the fucking coolest event I've ever been. I've never had so much fun. You had the coolest people here. It was unbelievable. He's like, let's do these together from now on. I was like, fuck yeah, let's do them together. So. Now um, I'm not even doing these events anymore myself so now all the events we're partners on them. And, um, so this, this event coming up is going to be the first event that we're partners on, uh, 50, 50 partners. And, um, he's bringing in a totally, uh, t- you know, a ton of new content that I never taught that he always, you know, that's more his stuff. And then I'm bringing all my best stuff. So we're going to like now teach my best stuff, his best stuff. And it's going to be the first event where like the content's going to be, you know, more different than in the past, because, um, you know, I always change my stuff a little bit Like I tweak it 5%, 10%, but now it's like 50% of it's going to be new. So it's going to be super cool. And you'll hear like a, you know, perspective from me and from him, like I'm more of a street guy, hustler, like whatever. He's more of like a wall street suit and tie guy. I don't, I've never owned a suit in like in decades. <laughs> so like we're coming from different perspectives and stuff, but we both end up in the same, you know, buying businesses, making a lot of money. So it's, it's kind of cool to see how to get there from,
0: from both perspectives. Yeah, man, that's going to be really cool. So if people are like listening to this now and like they're still trying to see if they can grab a seat and it's not packed out, where can they go to, to go pick up a seat? Uh, dealmaker.live. Just Dealmaker.live. So yeah, Dealmaker.live is going to be in the description below. Go and see right now if seats are packed out. If they yeah. aren't, I highly recommend getting there because when you guys started talking at the last Mastermind, I got to say like, Abraham, my mind was blown. Like it made yeah. me sit there and just question like, why the hell am I- buying? Anyone
1: anyone, anyone that anyone that goes through this mastermind is going to leave being like, holy shit. Like, I didn't <laughs> even know that you could do this stuff. I didn't know this stuff existed. Like, I didn't know you could even finance millions of dollars worth of deals with no money. Like, I didn't know you could do this strategy and that strategy and that they're even out there available. That why am I fucking with properties that cash flow three, four, five, six hundred $600 a month when I could fuck with uh, businesses that are cash flowing 10, 20, 30, $40,000 a month? It's like- it's crazy, but like, I love both. Like I'm always going to do both because they're both good for different reasons. And, um, they both, they both make a lot of money. So, um, but man, if you know how to do both, it's unbelievable. Yeah. But any, anyone that comes like it blows everybody's mind. So it's, uh,
0: it's crazy what you'll learn. 100%. 100%. I'm excited for it. So let me ask you this question. As you were on this whole journey and you figured things out, I know it wasn't always just like a straight roller coaster ride up. Like there were moments where at some point this roller coaster had yeah. to crash and I'm sure like doubt started to set in. Can you name or think of one of the biggest like oh shit moments that happened where you almost either came to a stop or it just really rattled the entire operation?
1: Yeah. So I, you know, like I said, the people that succeed the most in life and the most successful people have failed the most in life, right? So I've had, I've had shitload of failures. I mean, um, for every 10 things I try, maybe two of them work, right? I fail in like eight out of the, t- the 10 things I try. But here's here, here the biggest important key about, about that, right? I can give you specific examples if you wanna know like specific businesses or times where that happened. But in general, right? You've got to take chances to do, to do well, But you've got to take very strategic, you know, calculated, um, you know, things. So basically my point is this, when you see that something is not going well, you got to know when to like get rid of it and not lose everything, right? It's like, if you you know poker, in poker, you could play poker and have the best hand 20% of the time and win all the money on the table, right? And the way you do that is the same in business. When you have something, when you have a really good business, you basically make as much money as you can off it. But when you know something and you feel something's not going right and you don't have you know, the best business or you have something that's not going well, you got to know how to get rid of it before you lose everything, right? So you know, you know how to fold, basically. Um, and that and that's, just, that's how you play poker and that's how you play business. So I literally have had tons of businesses that I have let go at the right time. If I would have not let go of them when I did, I would have lost so much more money. I have friends that have lost all their money because they had businesses and they didn't know and just let it go. And they kept putting everything they had into it. And before you knew it, they were broke and they had no business. So I'm, you know, I'm really good to, to see the trends and see, look, maybe this wasn't a good idea. I thought it was a good idea. Right. Everything seems like a good idea when you started. Right. But once you do it, some stuff takes off and some stuff doesn't. Sometimes it's luck. Sometimes you just, some are just bad ideas. and Some are better ideas, but um, you've got to know to, um, to get rid of the, sh- the shittier stuff way before you lose too much. So, but, on um, some examples, um, so my first really, really big loss uh, on a business was back in 2001. I was in my mid-20s, and I spent like hundreds of thousands of dollars on uh, a haunted house. I had a haunted house, and literally, I spent so much money on it. I didn't know enough about it. I, I trusted some people that I partnered with, and we just, I put like hundreds of thousands of bucks into it, and it, it, never, it never took off. It never did well a big part of the reason was because that was the year of the trade towers that, that when they smashed in the trade towers and people were like super scared to go in public, like the ball games and the malls. And So I was in like, a, I was in one of the biggest malls in, in Atlanta at the time and people just wouldn't go to malls. They were scared to go in big areas. But even, even if that didn't happen, I still would have lost money on that. But it's because I didn't understand the whole business and I had partners that, you know, um, that just led me the wrong way. But, uh, Again, losing a few hundred thousand bucks at that at that stage was 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 pretty big, and uh, but I knew, look, you know, to cut it at some point. Like when the, when Halloween was over, I, I just knew not to keep doing it, and I knew how to get most you know a lot of my money back and liquidate stuff. But what I realized after that that year is with haunted houses, the first year any haunted house opens, they never make money. It's always like they start making money the second year or third year because the first year. You spend a ton of money on all the stuff, building it out and everything else. After that, it's kind of built out. And then the first year, you know, most of the money is spent on advertising because you can have the cool ton of house, but if nobody knows you have it, nobody's going to come. So you spend a lot of money on advertising the first year. But by the second, third year, you've already built that name up and then people return and then people talk about it and you don't have to spend as much and you just have a lot more people. But yeah, so on this particular one, a few mistakes, I built it in like, uh, it was like a department store that closed in this mall and they gave me this really good deal for 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 the rent on this like hundred some thousand square foot spot but most people that have haunted houses don't like take it down and put it back up every year they keep it in the same place and um, that saves money so in this one we were gonna have to take it down put it back up and so much of the money was 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 spent in building it and then you know taking it down storing it would have cost a fortune but again I learned from it you know there's a lot of things I learned I learned how to pick better partners I learned how you know to do more due diligence on certain types of businesses before I get into it instead of just trusting everyone because everybody's everybody's gonna tell you they have the best idea they want you to invest in it if, if they're using your money, you know, because they have nothing to lose. So, um, you know, I, I learned a lot from it. So every experience I did bad, I've learned a lot from it. And that, that was just one that I lost a lot of money on that I, I learned from it. There's been plenty more since then. But again, I figure out how much money can I afford to lose and not kill me and I'll I'll, I'll gamble on stuff, you know? Right now, I'll gamble millions of dollars on stuff because if I lose a few million bucks here or there, it's not going to kill me. But you know, when I was younger, I would gamble a few hundred thousand. For that, you know, I'd gamble you know tens of thousands. And you just got to know where your where where you know that amount is that's going to like kill you or hurt you really bad, and and don't you know don't do anything that's going to that's going to kill you if it doesn't go right.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. Like you establish your risk tolerance, and like I mean, what you just said—knowing how to fold and knowing when to fold—that's huge, man. I mean, biggest. I got pride it's an ego thing and even like my mind immediately went to sports and like jujitsu and like knowing when to tap out
1: yeah yeah and and you, you know that goes with relationships right that goes with with really you know uh just partnerships it goes with uh employees and bosses and where you're working and uh but even in in real estate right if you're figuring out how you uh, you're in acquisitions you figure out how you're getting all your leads you know, if you keep doing the same thing and it's not working, get rid of it and do something else. You know, it really is just with everything. You know, you got to know when to quit. If something's not working at some point, you try it as best as you can. And, you know, um, sometimes you just got to give up, you know, and, uh, and try something different.
0: So I want to be respectful of your time. I love that. So I got these three final questions, two of which I ask at every, at the end of every episode. And one is, like is inspired just by you right now, because you, you do, you're so authentic, right? You're really genuine. And I believe that takes a level of self, not just self-discipline, but self-awareness, right? Being reflective and sitting down and just getting to know yourself. Is that something that you found you always were doing? Like you would sit down and spend time with yourself or at some point in your life, did someone introduce you to the idea of like, yo, Abraham, you got to get to know you, man. I mean, I spend a lot of time in the jacuzzi at night
1: and I just sit there for like an hour and I just reflect on the day that I had, the week before, the month before, what I expect to happen in, in the future. And I reflect on, you know, everything that's good that's happening in my life. And, you know basically uh, how lucky i am and everything else and i just realized how did i get to this point and i'm like you know what i got here by being honest by people you know being able to build trust and by being authentic and being real so i'm like you know what i never want to change that i want to like you know no matter if you're the janitor you're a ceo worth a billion dollars you know i just treat everybody the same talk to everyone the same and um that's just so important and people see that around you you know and, uh, you just gotta be authentic. You can't, you know, once you start, once you start like forcing stuff, people, it's not going to trust you because that's kind of like fate. So that's just, I, that's just always been the way I am. And that's the way, uh, everyone that I, I respect and trust is like that. And the people that I see that aren't like that, I don't really like them. Out. So I don't want to be like that. You know? I don't want to be that person.
0: Yeah, I like it. And it's appreciated, man. Like I i watched at the mastermind, there were little subtle things that you were just doing that like I took note of. You know, like at one point when we were all finished with like the breathing exercise, you got up, walked out, and grabbed bottles of water and just brought it back. No one asked you to do yeah. that. You just yeah. saw that. Hey, people- I was trying to
1: help Caroline. I mean, Caroline was doing it all by herself. I'm like, shit, she's a heavy bottle. I was like, let me help her out. I mean, at that point, it's like, yeah, I mean, but that's that's what's kind of cool. It makes you feel better too. You know, it's like, okay, I'm helping this person. I see everyone sweating, I see everyone, you know. But you just—it's just fun. Like you—you you don't do it for any other reason because it's just kind of—it's fun at that point. You know, okay. it's like, like if I would want someone to do that for me, I—you know—do it for someone else, and you know, it's, it's helpful. I have the extra time. It's you know, stuff like that.
0: I love it. So yeah. the next question I have is: I'm pretty big on like you know, essentially reading things. Like books have changed my life in a massive way. They introduced new ideas that just weren't in my environment when I was growing up. So books really were that gateway to find out that there were better ways of living can for yourself can you name either like books or maybe it wasn't a book it was like a person that was a total paradigm shift for you that either after you read that book or you met yeah. that person or were introduced to their work you never quite went back to being the same so what's crazy is
1: is i haven't read a book in
0: like 30 years
1: um <laughs> like literally every single person that i talk to like talks about how books change their lives and everything else and i see it like i get it i'm just so impatient that i just can't read a book because i look at a book and i'm like holy shit, like how long is it going to take me to get to it? Like I want, I like instant satisfaction. So I don't read books that much. I read like the last time I read books, maybe when I was a teenager. Um, so I mean, there was only like one or two books I even remember ever reading. I remember reading one called, um, how to, you know, how to influence, uh, Brand, like some of Dale Carnegie, like people. Yep. Yeah. Influence. So that was probably one of the last books I've ever read. Now, this was literally like probably, I don't know, like 30 years ago, but, um, that book, I was like, man, this is super cool. Like, that's how I, I got a lot of my strategy of what I use today. But instead of using instead of reading books now, I, I mean I, I listen to courses all the time. I'm always listening to courses. I'm always on Google. I'm always you know searching for different things. So I learn a lot by just Google. Like that's how I learn stuff, not by reading. But um, I I think that everyone should read because everyone I talk to that reads like gets so much out of it. I don't, I wish I could read. I just I can't look at a book and be like oh I don't even know how long it takes to read a book. For me it just feels like it would take forever. I don't I don't know. Um, but basically what will happen is I'll talk to people that read those cool books Cause I, I can tell you all the good books just because people tell me the books that really were good for them not because I read them but they will kind of explain to me the books and I'm like oh yeah those concepts are, are awesome but yeah I love listening to Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi and, and people like that and you know once I hear it once or twice I kind of get it you know so I don't have to keep, keep reading it but um, you know that, that's pretty much how I learned just by hanging around the right people and learning from them in person not more than books but like like i said book books i know are are awesome that's the one downfall i have where i don't i I just can't read books
0: you know what dude you put it to use man so it's like it's not even a downfall i like i do know people that like books have changed my life i know books change other people's lives and i do know people that have read the books but they haven't put it to action and i'm like listen knowing and not doing is basically the same as not knowing so like i freaking love that man so my final question this is my favorite one is let's imagine tomorrow, Abraham, you wake up and you are a blank slate. Like you don't remember anything. You don't remember the businesses you bought, the experiences you've had, the fails, the wins, like it is all gone. gone. And when you're waking up, you're not freaking out. It's not a scary movie. It's not like you're not in a haunted house or anything like that. You start to open your eyes and you start to come to consciousness. And as you come to, a thought flickers into your mind. And this thought, when it flickers into your mind, you don't question it. You accept it 1000%. Nobody can prove you that it's wrong. Like you just take it fully on faith. And this begins the first thought of every other thought to come. What would you prefer this first thought to be?
1: Just to be a good person. Be a good person, hang around the right people. I mean, Literally, no matter if you have no money and you're not doing good, that, that's how you build a crazy amount of wealth. So that would be the first thought. Make sure you're around the right people. Make sure you're around the right people and make sure you're around positive people. And from there, you can't lose.
0: I freaking love it, man. So, yo, Abraham, first off, thank you so much for spending some time here today. I mean, you... This episode, I think is going to make someone a lot of money, a lot of people, a lot of money, just because they're learning some really valuable principles for the people that are like, yo, this guy is dope. I really like his style. I like his straightforwardness. I like the authenticity and they want to connect with you. How can they connect with you more? I know you're growing the YouTube channel. Where can they go to see more of you?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, YouTube, I'm posting two videos every single week. I've been doing it for like six months now. I talk about how to make more money in business, how to make more money in real estate, How, you know, mindset, building rapport, how to have better lives. And I I have a lot of funny shit in there, right? It's not just about learning. It's not boring. Like most of my videos are kind of funny. Um, So definitely YouTube, but I'm on Facebook all the time. So, you know, if you have deals you want to do with me or you want help or something, I pretty much, I mean, I do respond to everybody on on Facebook uh, and on Instagram as well. I'm on Facebook all the time. I mean, I'm on Instagram a little bit. I'm actually starting to be on, first of all, about six months ago, a year ago, I was never on Instagram. I just started to get on Instagram more because people are like, "Oh, you have to get on Instagram more." So, but yeah, I answer every single uh, message on Instagram now, and um, man, those those are probably the, the best ways. and then obviously, if you're in Atlanta, come come uh, come to uh, come to my office, come to the gym, we could uh, get some rounds in together, and uh, you know, talk, you know, go out to lunch, and you know, just kind of see where where we're both at and how we can help each other.
0: Yo, I love it. Guys, I would recommend taking him up on that offer because seriously, this guy, he resonates like you just you vibrate positivity, man. You're authentic and you truly do care about helping people. So Abraham, I appreciate you for being here. Everyone that's listening, go to the description down below. I'm going to make it super easy to go follow him. In fact, if you listen to him from this episode, do me a favor. Follow him on YouTube, follow him on IG, screenshot it and tag me on IG. I want to see that you connected with him. If- hey, one thing about IG I gotta tell you, there's a
1: fucking fake imposter out there that copied my, <laughs> my uh, make sure you do not follow that guy. So my, everything I have is Abraham Gray, G-R-A-Y. My Instagram is Abraham Gray official and it has two F's in official. So there's a fake Abraham Gray official with one F. That person, first of all, I don't do cryptocurrency. I don't do Bitcoin. This person is going to say, look, open a, open a crypto account. Um, let, me tra- let me teach you how to train. If anyone ever asks you and they say they're me about crypto, it's not me because I don't do anything with crypto. But yeah, Abraham Gray officials, my Instagram with two Fs. Got to have two Fs.
0: That's funny, man. Dude, that's funny that you're, it's a good thing that you said the two Fs too, because like people would think the two apps one is the fake one. So yo, I'm going to have his official links down below. So go through the links in my description. That's how you're going to get to him. Connect with him, stay plugged in, stay tuned in. And if you want more guests like Abraham, let me know by screenshotting this. Let me know what you thought was the most valuable thing in this episode. Leave a comment below and I'll see you guys for the next episode.
1: See ya.